Amen. If you have a Bible, and uh, with the wind, you might do better to use your phone. Don't worry, we won't, we won't judge you. Um, open up to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And as you're opening up there, I want to encourage you to please uh, be sure to stick around for lunch today. Uh, here in just a few minutes, and if you are a guest with us, we'd love to get to know you and just get to know you a little bit better. So many of our members and others, I'm sure, if you're a guest today, will come say hello to you, but don't hesitate to say hello to us. I'd love to say hey and get to know you a little bit. That's what we're out here for, and so I uh, look forward to getting to know many of you better um, this morning. Well, let me uh, read to you Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17, and we've done enough sitting down and standing up. It's kind of hard with the kind of chairs we're in, so you can remain uh, seated this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. O oh Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here together this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, with an almost uh, over 91 reviews, 91 reviews, uh, this particular steakhouse still had a near-perfect rating on Google reviews. And if you've ever been on Google reviews before, you know how hard it is to get a near perfect rating. Sometimes we get bad ratings at the church and it's not even for the right church. And so, uh, say, you know, it says the preacher was too skinny or something like that. And we say, well, it's not First Baptist. Um, 91 reviews still had a, a near perfect rating. Listen to what some people had to say about Mehran's, M-E-H-R-A-N, Mehran's Steakhouse. One person said, it was the best steak I ever had in New York City. Another person said, words cannot explain how phenomenal the steak was. One said, Chef Meron is godlike in his ability to craft a steak. Uh, if you know anything about dining in New York City, you know that it is really hard to get reservations to the hottest spots in town. In fact, some people almost make a sport of getting good reservations in New York City. But it seems like Mehran's Steakhouse was the most elusive. They were booked solid for months. Eventually, this steakhouse had over 900 people on the waiting list trying to get a table to eat there, trying and eager to get a chance to eat at one of New York's top Hot spots, wanting to eat a steak there from Chef Mehran. Here's the only problem about Mehran's Steakhouse. It was fake. There was no Mehran's Steakhouse. In fact, there were a group of 16 people that lived in a brownstone on the Upper East Side of New York City. Almost all of them lit, worked in the tech industry. These types of establishments or homes are called hacker houses. And so, one of the men there, Mehran Jalali, would make steaks for his friends. 
all the people there. And one day, one of the people in the, in the uh, house thought it would be funny to take their address on Google, and instead of it just being a normal address, they changed the name over to Mayron's Steakhouse. And then other friends decided they would get in on the joke, and they would leave these rave reviews about how good this steakhouse was. They would leave these tongue-in-cheek reviews. Before it's all over with, though, eventually people start calling the phone number at the house. One night people show up and knock on the door and say, we're here for the steak. And so they kept the joke going for long enough until eventually they literally had a 900-person wait list for a steakhouse that didn't exist. And this group of people decided just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago actually, to host a dinner um, in New York City. And still people didn't know it was a fake steakhouse and they had people pay and come. And it, it shows you though in the internet age when we don't know what's real and what's fake, the power that we have over the power that fake things have over us. And, and let me just say, the age that we live in, it's hard to tell what's real and it's hard to tell what's fake, isn't it? You guys ever been in this situation? Sometimes I just don't know what to believe about certain things. I, I don't know what to think. Um, it, it feels like every time we get into something, every time I'm thinking this is the thing, something comes out, turns out there's a scandal. Something comes out, turns out it wasn't what I thought it was. Something comes out, and it turns out what we thought was real was actually fake. Let me also say, I think authenticity is something that all of us long for. Knowing what's real, knowing something authentic, that's something we all long for. But I think more than anything, more than just steakhouses or restaurants or whatever else, more than anything, I think we long to know what it means to be authentically good people. I just feel like that's something our culture's struggling with and wrestling with. We talk a lot about cancel culture. We talk about a lot about all the different things that are happening in our culture and society. And really, all of these debates revolve around what does it mean to be an authentically good person? What, what, what does it mean to be genuinely righteous, to borrow a term from the Bible? This morning, I want to talk to you really quickly about the true righteousness that comes from God's gospel. I, I want to show you three truths today to help you understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand what authentic, true righteousness, authentic, true goodness really is and where it comes from. Three, three truths this morning for you. Here's the first. The gospel is the power of God. It's the first thing I want you to know this morning. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Do you, do you hear what Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now, stop for just a moment and consider what Paul means when he says the word gospel here. Uh, the word gospel means good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's a, a, a word that conveys to us the idea of glad tidings, good news. But what is the content of this good news? What is it that Paul is saying he's not ashamed of? Well, essentially, the good news of the gospel is rooted in the simple story of the life, the death, and the resurrection of a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who the Bible tells us, and his life proves to us, 
is also not only the son of Mary, a man, genuinely a human being, but also authentically through the power of the Holy Spirit and through a great mystery which God worked in his life, he is the very son of God. Age to age, forever and ever, he has been the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Jesus is fully divine and fully God. He became man on our behalf, and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserve in order that we might live through him. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. So at the center of what Paul is saying he's not ashamed of is something that's inherently shameful, and that is crucifixion. Crucifixion. Jesus was treated like a criminal and killed on the cross like a criminal. Now, notice what he says. He says he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Now, consider this for a moment. Consider this. If you look, if we were to just walk up, if, if we could all get in a time machine right now, and we knew nothing of the gospel, knew nothing of the Bible, and we were transported to ancient Rome, and we walked up on a crucifixion happening. So someone being nailed to a cross and being punished for their crimes. Who would we assume had the power? Well, not the person on the cross, right? They're on the wrong end of the power. Would we not agree? And, and we would look and we would say, well, in this moment, these soldiers who are nailing them to the cross have the power. And we would recognize that whoever's got the real power is the person that's behind these soldiers, the Caesar or the state or whoever it is that's responsible for this crucifixion happening. And yet Paul says that God's power, infinite power, is present in this act of crucifixion. That is, weakness is demonstrating God's power at the cross. Now notice what he says. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. This good news contains God's power to save sinners. Now, for just a moment, I want you to consider this word salvation. What does it mean to need to be saved? Perhaps you've seen someone in distress and water and you've thrown them a life preserver or you've jumped in to help them and they don't later say, what in the world were you doing? Why did you help me? I didn't need help. I had it under control. No, they say thank you for saving me. So the, the fact that we need salvation, though, is a question that a lot of people have. There are people who think that the Christian understanding of salvation is rooted in degrading and devaluing humans. I read a quote the other day that said that the Apostle Paul seemed to have a big problem with self-value and self-loathing, and it came out in his writing. And so for Paul to even say we need to be saved may be a non-starter for some of you here because you might say, you know, this is just rooted in self-loathing and self-hatred, and I'm trying to learn to love myself and have a higher view of myself. And I, I, want, you, I want to tell you something. I want to say this really carefully. The fact that we even need saving, so the logic might go, demonstrates that Christianity presents a low view of human beings, is what some might say. But I, I want you to know something. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the power of God unto salvation, actually tells us the opposite. It tells us the opposite. The fact that we would need to be saved the fact there would even be a desire to save us, the fact that we are worth saving. Let me just tell you something, guys. I am not going to jump in the Coosa River over there to save a mannequin. 
I, I probably wouldn't even jump into the Coosa River and risk my life um, to save an, an ant, a raccoon or something like that. But if there were a person in the Coosa River that needed saving, we would, it, it, we would definitely be willing to sacrifice ourselves from them. It's a, it's a statement of their value and their worth. The same is true for what Christianity and our need for salvation says for us and about us as human beings. What it's saying is we are valuable. We are of infinite worth because God made us that way. He made us in his image, and we have messed ourselves up. Paul is not a self-loathing person. Instead, Paul is brutally self-honest, recognizing that through sin he messed his own life up. We heard a testimony about this just a few minutes ago. Someone who said, through my own actions, for one thing, being mean to my friend about what he believed in high school. I'm just kidding. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like through my own actions, you know, I, I made mistakes in my life and got myself to a place and it became clear to me, I need Jesus' help to get out of this. Brothers and sisters, that's not self-loathing. That's recognizing the worth that God has placed in us recognizing what it means to be image bearers and recognizing our need for God's help. So much of the culture we have around self-love is actually doing the opposite of what it's trying to do. Instead of helping people get the help they need, it's teaching people you don't need any help at all. We have to be so careful of the way we understand these things. Every aspect of Christian salvation shows and demonstrates the value of people to the God who made them. And I want you to know when Paul says that the gospel is God's power for salvation, we recognize that it is powerful because it is only the shed blood of Jesus that can save us. It is powerful because through this gospel, God has purposed to save us. And we need to recognize that when we look to the gospel, we can see God's loving care demonstrated powerfully through the work of his son. God cares about you. God loves you. And if you're wondering whether or not that's true, if you're wondering whether or not God sees value in who you are, if you're wondering whether or not you need God's help to get things right, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to look to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Second of all, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, I want you guys to to think about this with me for just a moment. People tend to think, and I understand why, some people tend to think that Christianity is hopelessly narrow and hopelessly exclusionary. That Christianity speaks only to a certain group of people, whether it be this race of people or this group of people or this type of person or that type of person or whatever else. People think that the gospel is only for certain types of people. They think it's narrow and exclusionary. But actually... I would argue Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the history of the world. In fact, I think the people who critique Christianity for being too narrow are so deeply shaped by Christianity that they value inclusivity because of Christianity, whether they realize it or not. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to 
the Greek. Now, I don't believe it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek in an ongoing sense. But what Paul's saying here is that this gospel came first to Jewish people and then through them God blessed the world as he promised that he would do through Abraham's seed. Through Jesus Christ, God blessed the world through the Jewish people. Let me just say this. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That is everyone. There is a singular dividing line between Christians and non-Christians. And that is the dividing line of faith. It does not matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what religious background you are. It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. It doesn't matter what part of town you're from. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're in or out or in the in crowd or the out crowd. It doesn't matter whether you're the downcast and the dregs of society or whether you're at the tip top of what it means to be an established and respected part of the world. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone is welcome at the table of God by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone. The gospel's for everyone. There's nobody here who sinned so much before you got here that you are beyond God's grace. And there's nobody here who sinned so little before you got here that you're not in need of God's grace. All of us equally need God's help to be saved. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I think I say it every Sunday. If I don't, it's very, very rarely that I don't. I believe with all my heart, if you will turn from your sins and repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus, you will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where, what you think. It doesn't matter any of those things. If you turn to Jesus, he will receive you by faith. All you have to do is trust him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. I'm not going to, when you come talk to me later today and say, Pastor, I, I want to become a Christian, I'm not going to say, well, can you uh, give me a little bit of your pedigree? Can, can I see your CV? Uh, can, can, can I, can I kind of see just how things have gone so far? We, we really need to know whether we want you in the club or not. No, I say to everyone here, come, come, come and know Jesus. Come and know Jesus by faith. Finally, here's, here's the last point I want you to see. Not only is the gospel for everyone, not only is the gospel the power of God for salvation, but finally, the gospel gives us true righteousness. The gospel gives us true righteousness. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Think about this. We are obsessed in our culture about what it means to be good people, about what it means to be decent human beings, about what it means to have true righteousness. Let me tell you what God gives us in the gospel. He gives us, first of all, pure righteousness. Pure righteousness. It's uncut righteousness. Think about this for just a moment. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Never meet your heroes. You guys ever heard this phrase before? I've been disappointed by someone I thought was a really good person when I got a little bit closer up. Okay? And I want to tell you guys something. There's nobody in this world that if you get close enough to that you want to eventually find some disappointment. Um, if you're really curious to know about that, especially as it regards me, my wife is right over here. And she can tell you that there, there are some disappointing moments in, in my life. 
But listen, I, I'm not purely righteous. The only righteousness I can claim is the righteousness of Jesus, but it is pure righteousness. It is perfect righteousness. The righteousness that God has revealed is not something we have to debate. It is pure and perfect. So he gives us pure righteousness, not mixed with bad, but pure righteousness. But he also gives us authentic righteousness, not fake or counterfeit. God actually came here into the world. He didn't just send somebody on his behalf. He didn't just ask somebody to go do this. He didn't say, take my word for it. God came here. He is righteousness in the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ is. And I want you to know that there is authentic righteousness that is found in the gospel. But maybe most importantly, but at least third of all, there's this. It is an alien righteousness, an other righteousness. It's not earned. It's not manufactured. But it's a righteousness that can be received. You see, uh, I saw a meme the other day that said, uh, my brain, as soon as I close my eyes and put it on the pillow at night, and it said something like, every mistake I've ever made (laughs) running through my head. Any of you guys ever have those moments? I don't know about you. I sometimes, you're going to find this hard to believe, sometimes my mouth gets out ahead of my brain. You guys ever have those moments? Any of those moments? And so I lay in bed at night sometimes and I rehearse all the times during the day I said something stupid or something goofy or something I shouldn't have said. And then lately it's been the things I almost said. And I thought, man, you dodged a bullet on that one, but man, what about next time or whatever else? Stop thinking about that for just a moment. Um, It's good for me when I lay my pillow in bed at night and I'm rehearsing my mistakes. Think about the things I didn't do, the things I should have done. Some of y'all got here this morning and said, you know, I think the church gave me $10 last week and I haven't done anything with it yet, you know. I'm just kidding. What I have done, what I haven't done, I'm thinking about those things, you know what's good for me to be reminded of? Not like, Matt, you're terrible, you're pathetic, do better. My righteousness, how God views me, how God sees me, is not based on my performance. It's not based on my track record. It's based on a life that's already been lived, the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood for all those goofy things I did wrong, and who now ever lives before God the Father to plead on my behalf, to live and to plead my case of righteousness before God forever and ever and ever and ever. My friends, I have a righteousness that's from outside me. It's not something I have to earn. It's not something I have to manufacture. It's something I received, and it's something that's available to you right now. If your challenge is whether or not you're really a good person, let me just tell you, there's only really been one of those, and he offers you his track record for free through the cross by faith. Paul concludes this by quoting an Old Testament prophet, and he says, because the Bible says, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. In a world of fake stuff, in a world where our heroes disappoint us, in a world of made-up stuff, in a world where you just kind of sort of wonder whether this is AI or this is a deep fake or this is the real thing or if that person is projecting something out that they're not really on the inside in a world where we have to worry about all those different things, I want you to know something today. You can have true, authentic, pure, real righteousness by faith in Jesus, by believing in Jesus. And I want you to know today, if you will turn from your sins and repentance, and turn to God in faith through Christ, I believe you will be saved. Today, I want you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, we, we've got just a little, 
altar here. If you want to come down and talk to me, I'll be standing right here waiting on you. But if you want to, over a hamburger or a hot dog in a little bit, or if you want to grab me and pull me aside, any of our ministers or staff here, Cole's right over here. Cole, if you want to wave. Uh, Woody's around here somewhere. He'll be up here to pray in just a little bit. Woody's back here. Y'all have seen Nathan already. And um, so any of our ministers or staff or church members, if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to know Jesus, you grab one of us, and we'd love to talk to you after this is over. But right now, we're going to sing a couple of verses of a song and give all of you here an opportunity to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the real, authentic righteousness that is ours through your Son. And God, we pray you would work among us even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now for the instructions. Most important part, right? All right. So a few people have asked me about um, giving an offering today. Yes, we do have the ability to do that. I've got a couple men 
Uh, Danny and Bill are going to be standing over here by the sidewalk. If you don't know who they are, they've got a white bucket in their hand. So if you have an offering you want to donate this morning, just uh, they'll be standing over there for the next 10 minutes or so, and you can drop that with them, and uh, we'll collect that later on. So um, <clears throat> if you're needing to do that or wanting to do that here today. Um, also, what else are we doing? Oh, yeah, food, right. So we got a lot of people here, so what we're going to do, we're going to line up down the sidewalk this way and come in the pavilion at the front. You'll see the uh, plates and stuff back here on the far, my right side. So the line will start there, but we don't want to start lining up down this way. We'll line up down the sidewalk, okay? As you come in, uh, we'll go down and make your plates, and on the end, there's the place for the fixings and the drinks and all that. So if you can, keep the line moving through there, but we don't want you to hurry past and not get something you want. But just keep in mind there'll be people lined up behind you there. And so uh, on my prayer, when I say amen, y'all can start lining up. I believe we are ready to go. And uh, so if you don't know where it is, if you're confused, just follow the line. You'll find it eventually back there. Let me pray for us and uh, thank the Lord for the food and we'll, we'll dig in here in a minute. We'll share, break bread together. Lord, thank you for this day, the beauty of it. Thank you for the, the church gathered. We thank you for the food, especially those who prepared it and worked hard and sweated out there and uh, all the things it took to get it together. We pray that we would enjoy it, that it would be a great way to fellowship, meet some people and uh, just celebrate uh, the fact that we're together here having community. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you all.